Thanks for checking out this sermon from Christ the King in Carrollton, Georgia, where our goal is to glorify God by making, training, and sending disciples to engage our neighbors and the nations with the gospel of Jesus. If you want to learn more about us, you can find us online at ctkcarrollton.com, or better yet, join us on a Sunday in Carrollton. Hey, do me a favor and open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Open up to Ephesians chapter 5. If you don't have a a Bible, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, perhaps, let me give you the easiest way to go about navigating the Scriptures, okay? Open up to the first few pages, and there you'll find a table of contents. On that page, Old Testament, New Testament, we're in the New Testament portion. Find the book of Ephesians under that New Testament column and turn to the corresponding page. We'll be on the page with the big five in the middle of the text. Ephesians chapter five as we continue to journey through. Um, If you would like a Bible, we've got hard copies in the back that you can feel free to stand up and go grab. Or you can raise your hand and somebody will bring one to you. Or if you prefer digital, you can download from... uh, from the App Store, version, ESV, both of those would, uh, would take you to the right place. So, um, hope everybody had a stellar weekend. Um, excited to see you all. And uh, for those that are visiting, man, we're excited to, uh, to see you as well. We are um, continuing to tease out an answer to a really important question. And that question is this, how do we live as children of God in response to what he has done for us in Christ? Okay, so it's an important question. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give it to you again, right? Because this is what we've been teasing out over the past few weeks as we've turned the corner in the book of Ephesians. We spent the first half really leaning into uh, like Paul's exposition of, of what Christ uh, has done for us so that we might experience adoption into the family of God. Now, consequently, part two of of his letter really centers on how we live as the people of God. How do we as as children of God live in response to what he has done for us in Christ? And in chapter 5, Paul begins by reminding the Ephesians to imitate God. Right, to, to imitate God, to, to, mirror, to mirror God, a reminder that each one of us are in need of. Right? Paul directs his attention right onto the heart. As beloved children, verse 1, elect in Christ, chosen and provided for by God. Here's what Paul says. You ready for this? Do what he does, right? Like do what, what he does. And so the most natural question to flow out of that stream of thought is what? Well, what does God do, right? If the call in Ephesians 5 verse 1 is to, as followers of Jesus, imitate God, then we ought to be asking ourselves the question, all right, well, what does God do? And as we come around this answer here in the first few verses of Ephesians chapter 5, we find that he loves, right, that God God loves In Jesus, we see, as we stated last week, and as we state often, the exposition of the Father. What does that mean? It means if we want to know what God is like, if we want to know what the Father is like, we look to Jesus. We look to Jesus and we observe his, his attributes and his qualities. We observe the way that he interacts and the things that he says. And we go, okay, this is, this is what the Father looks like. Jesus exposits or exposes the Father to us. Jesus who who loves sacrificially. Right? Jesus who, who lays aside certain divine rights so that he can come into our world and save it through his death in our place. This is the idea of, of substitution, right? 
Christ in our place, living the life that we should live, right? And dying the death that we deserve to die so that we can inherit as we look to him in faith, this eternal reward that we cannot earn. A death that, again, as we find from these first few verses, is actually pleasing to the Father, We know this, how? Well, because of the reality of the resurrection, the fact that the resurrection is this real event in time and space that took place, that Jesus gave his life, that he died on a cross, that he was buried in the tomb, and then three days later, he rose victorious over hell and the grave. The reality of the resurrection affirms the sufficiency of Christ's substitution, his life in our place. His ability to, as the the king of all creation, right, as we sang this morning, to purchase sinners, right, as he makes our lives lived in obedience to his word, pleasing. This is who God is, right? This is who God is, and as a result, right, love and sacrifice ought to, should, and will mark our imitation. And so when we, when we look to verse 1, and there's this call from Paul to imitate God, we then look to Jesus, we consider his, his life and his work, we consider the power of his resurrection, and we go, all right, well, then that means that certain marks that are to align themselves in my life and flow from my life are sacrifice. Sacrifice and a love that imitates the love of of Jesus. As we look to and and follow Jesus, we stated this last week, but it is like worthy of repeating, right? As we we look to and, and follow Jesus, we are in actuality, this is huge, walking out our created purpose. Our creative purpose, why we are here. That was one of the questions that we answered or or sought to come around last week in our time, right? We kind of stepped back and we acknowledged the irony of being a church planted on a university campus, right? This, this, This center of enlightenment, right? A bunch of young people trying to figure out what in the world they're supposed to do with their lives, why they are here, right? God identifies created purpose there in the very beginning, what we find as we, as we look to and follow Jesus is that we are able to walk this out. We're able to walk out our created purpose through the power of the Spirit to the glory of God, right? That we don't do this in and of ourselves. We don't desire this in and of ourselves. Our minds, our hearts, our affections are in need of being redeemed. They are in need of being rescued. They're in need of being remade. And the gospel does this. This is what we're saying. So we're celebrating this morning. All right, what's happening in this room is not natural. What would be natural is that we would all sing songs to ourselves, right? Because that's kind of the direction that we lean oftentimes. We make gods of ourselves and we, we idealize our own desires and passions and preferences. And the gospel calls us into this self-sacrificing love that mirrors God. This is what we were created to do. This is how we were created to live. Sin throws this like this major wrench in this entire plan. But God in his providence had a plan before the foundations of the world to rescue and to reorient your life. Get this. This is huge. To reorient your life on created purpose. Why you are here. 
and what we're doing, right? And, and the reality is this, right? That when we, when we find ourselves walking in this, we are, are brought into this realization of our greatest joy. Did you catch that, right? That, that as we walk out created purpose, God's created purpose for us, imitating him, right? Loving, serving, sacrificing, looking to and enjoying, worshiping him. We are living the realization of our greatest joy. You sit here and you go, man, like, I don't know that I've ever like fully found like that which makes me ultimately happy. Like I keep looking to things and I think that if I aspire towards this or if I realize this or if I experience this, then it will, it will give way, right? Like it will produce greatest joy in me, right? If I can just get through this season of hardship, if I can just like attain this particular goal, that I'm going to be like happy, right? That I'm going to know joy, what we find is, is that actually our greatest joy is, is experienced as we walk out our created purpose. Does that make sense? Like, are we together on this? We've got to get out of verse 1 and 2. I jokingly told Rebecca Horsley, like, we're just going to be in uh, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 again today. Like, we're just going to take all of our time. We're going to focus there again. And I feel like we could. But we're not going to because you guys are, like, ready to move on. And, and I'm kind of too because there's a lot here. So, um, last week. We looked at and explored the first two verses that led us into specific instruction for embracing certain practices and postures while rejecting others. This is what we're going to chat around this week as we, as we identify some specifics for walking in love as followers of Jesus. What does it look like to walk in love as followers of Jesus as we emulate God in obedience to the, the call of God and, and Paul's challenge here in chapter 5, verse 1? And so, so let's do this. Let's pray together as we prepare to, to come into this time. Father, thank you for this group of people who again today come around the gospel, the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection and work producing restoration in us and in our world. We pray that you would open our eyes and our, and our hearts to understand what you have to say to us this morning from your perfect word. Give us a, give us a, a joy in your word. Give us a reverence for your word. Produce within us hearts of, of celebration and gratitude. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, if you're with me in Ephesians chapter 5, say amen. Amen. All right. If you need me to wait for a second, say, hey, hold up a second. Awesome. I think we're all there. Ephesians chapter 5. Let's look at verse 3 as we begin this week. Paul writes this. He says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetedness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, Paul writes, let there be thanksgiving. I want us to come around this idea here in the very beginning, right? This, this idea that Paul reminds us of is he reminds the Christian that to imitate God in love, which is the central theme within this portion of the letter, is to, verses 3 and 4, walk in purity. To walk in purity. 
The call from Paul is the rejection of uncommon sexual practice. He's super explicit about this here in the very beginning. But what we find as we consider the content of verses 3 and 4 is that it's not only a rejection of uncommon sexual practice, but consequently an embrace of, well, like what's common, right? Like to, to, to put off what is uncommon is to put on then what, what could be described and should be described as common. Now, this makes sense if and only if. We look to God to define what this looks like. Otherwise, it's just really fluid, right? It's kind of like, well, how do you describe what's common? And, and how do you identify what is uncommon, right? There needs to be this, this standard. And so as we come to the word of God, as the people of God, like unapologetically, are we are looking to him to identify what is common and uncommon as we seek to walk out obedience to the call of verses 3 and 4. A certain contributor to the Gospel Coalition in Canada helps us to understand what, uh, what this looks like as he writes. Okay, so we're, we're leaning into this, this embrace of the common in order that we might best distinguish what is uncommon and therefore put that away. Right? As we walk out love and imitation of God. Listen to what, listen to what he has to say. He says this, in our contemporary culture... Christianity is generally portrayed as sexually repressive in the extreme. Christians are known for being opposed to homosexual sex, premarital sex, extramarital sex, and pornography. Therefore, the assumption is that Christians believe that sex is bad in and of itself. But nothing as we engage the scriptures, could be further from the truth. The Bible says that the first husband and wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Before the fall, before sin, sex was part of the created order. It was good. In fact, it was very good and was engaged in freely without inhibition of any kind by the man and the woman. The Bible says that sex was affected by the fall, but it remains something to be celebrated and protected throughout the entire canon of Scripture, the book of Proverbs. A wise father instructs his son to rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. How about that, ladies? You like being described that way? It's pretty stellar, isn't it? Right? Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Likewise, in the New Testament, it says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. Sex between a husband and a wife is never, get this, is never a cause for shame. Instead, it should be honored, right? it, should be, it should be cherished and enjoyed as the gift and the good that it is. Thanks be to God. 
So let's step into the text and let's try to best understand what Paul is calling the Ephesians here around, right? A a rejection of sexual immorality, which is clear from the text, isn't a call to the rejection of sex itself. But instead it's a what? Well, it's it's a call to abandon the immoral for the adoption of the original. Is that not something that we are so in need of hearing on a regular basis? Is that not something that the Ephesians, even as they are are walking out like successful Christian life based on everything that we read from Paul here in this letter, are in need of being reminded of? In all things, right? A, A rejection of the immoral and the adoption of the original. Again, who, who is it that defines this, this original, like, concept, idea, walk, life? Well, it's God. It's his word, right? And so there's this encouragement even now, like, let's step outside of the immediate context of Ephesians 5 verse 3, and let's ask, how do we, how do we embrace practice like this for our life? Well, we, we consider topic, Right? We consider issues and we go, what does God's word have to say about this? Because my desire in all things to his glory is to adopt what he has to say. Does that make sense? Are we together on this? Right, And so, so what does God say about human interaction? What does God say about interpersonal relationship skills? How, what does God say about what is sin and what is to be embraced within our human existence and experience? We look to God's word to define this for us. Rejection of the immoral and adoption of the original. If you're not taking notes, man, you should write that down, okay? Like that is so super helpful. I feel like we can put that on a sticky note and right there on your computer screen at work, right? The old school Dell about this deep. That's still what they look like, right? I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not in office space very often. Jesus's people are instructed to guard against lust. We're, we're broadening our scope for just a minute. Jesus's people are instructed to guard against lust as this falls under the umbrella of sexual immorality as stated by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, as it is often a gateway into other forms of sexual promiscuity. So there's this, there's this call, right, as we consider, as we consider the teachings of the New Testament to, to build this, this wall, to guard the heart through the window of the eye, right? And so it's not just a, an engagement and practice issue. That's not what we're talking about here. Jesus brings clarification around this, right? He says there's this real need for our hearts and our minds, right, to be, to be remade, to brought in, be brought into alignment, with God's desire for created purpose, right? That our, our hearts and our minds need to be rescued. That it's not simply enough to go, okay, physical act, like their rejection, rejecting that which is clearly defined as immoral, and then just like, like swimming in the cesspool of human mind, right? Like, no, we are in need of that being restored and reconciled as well. To walk in love as we imitate God is to desire purity in sexual relationship as God presents it. Impurity and greed, these are are things that should not even be associated with followers of Jesus. This is what Paul's saying here in these first few verses of Ephesians 5. 
sexual sin and, and specific use of language. Right? Both are, are brought into the scope. Both are brought to the table. Gossip, right? Locker room type joking. Totally out of alignment with gospel transformation. Holy cow, man. Does this not put like a, a ton of, of emphasis on like, like consideration practically in the way that we go about living our lives? Totally, yes, it is. Right? Like there is this implication for followers of Jesus that we are that we are connected with Christ, that we are walking with him, that we are abiding in the word. And that our time with him and in his word, in prayer, and among his people is to shape the way that we think and the things that we the things that we say. Keep in mind, right, that, that all of this is being directed towards the church. Right? Paul here is, is speaking to a people who have tasted and seen the goodness of the Lord. And now they are being challenged to orient their practice around their new identity in Jesus. And so it is for Christ's followers in this room. Right? Orienting our lives, right, our, our rhythms, our identities around fellowship with Jesus. What is it that you're orienting your life around? So it's just a super practical question, right? Let's just get super practical for a minute. What is it that you're orienting your life around? Is it your job? Is it your, is it your family? Or is it your is it your perception of the world or your passions for the future? Those may be great things, right? But but what we need to do first as we're coming into this, this call, coming around this call to walk in love as we imitate God, is to orient our lives first and foremost around fellowship with Jesus. Maybe we, we say it like this, right? That, that sexual sin and, and gossip, foolish talk, right? That tr- detract from the gospel simply do not fit our style any longer. Right? At one point, at one point it did. It made a ton of sense, right? Existing as, as aliens and, and exiles, right? In terms of our relationship with God. But now, having been adopted, remember the first four chapters, everything that Paul is talking about. Having been adopted, this doesn't make sense anymore. Last week, last Monday, if you would have walked into this room with a huge raincoat on, I had some, some rubber boots, maybe one of those uh, like Gordon's Fisherman like sailor's hats on, right? Like it would have made a ton of sense. Why? Because it had been raining for like 30 days in a row, right? That would have made a ton of sense. Now, if you walked in here in the middle of July wearing that and it looked like it does outside, we would be concerned, <laughs> okay? I would be concerned. I'd be like, dude, somebody check that guy out. He is really like freaking me out right now, right? Just to be honest, just for the point of transparency here. It wouldn't make any sense. Paul here is saying, man, this, this type of, of life, it doesn't make sense any longer with who you are. And so, we're, again, we're flushing out this, this put off, put on idea. Paul goes as far as to imply that in the, in the same way that the gospel recovers and redeems sex, which it does, in similar fashion, it recovers our tongue. 
as silly speech is replaced with what? What does he say specifically? Well, it's, it's right here. It's this last word on the, on the screen, right? Instead, no, no talk or crude joking, right? These things are out of place. They are out of style. They don't fit any longer. Instead, let there be what? What does it say? You're smart people. Thanksgiving, right? Like, is this called to put off and to put on? It doesn't make sense for you anymore to wear the Gordon Fisherman hat, okay? Put on Thanksgiving. That's what Paul's calling us around here. This is, as it has been referred, the new dialect of the Christian. Hey, it's, uh, it's daylight savings morning, isn't it? Man, happy, right? All the saints, just remember this day, there will not be daylight savings in the resurrection of the righteous, right? We won't have to look for this any longer. But just think practically for a moment again what this, what this looks like. We, we came in this morning, and I mean, uh, we had to set up this morning. Typically, we, uh, what you see, this doesn't look like this during the week, right? Um, and so we come in on Saturdays typically, and we move all the stuff out. Don't go into that room right there. You may not make it out alive. Um, and then we put all this stuff out. This week, because they had dinner theater at BCM last night, we set up this morning. And so not only was it like set your clocks ahead, but it was like we're getting here an hour early to set up. So it was like, yeah, yeah, it was amazing, right? Um, And so we came in this morning and it was kind of like, hey, man, like this morning's a little bit rough. We all get that. But hey, like the Lord's mercies are new every morning, right? Like, Like there needed to be this dialect of thanksgiving that we shared with one another this morning as we came in and, and began to move some furniture around. This is what the Christian life looks like, right? There's this dialect for the Christian. There's a, a dialect of thanksgiving, of gratitude, of intentionality. So the question then is what, what happens when we fail to imitate God as we ought to, right? When, when sexual immorality sneaks into our lives where our tongues fall to temptation and sin, Paul reminds his friends that there is very real consequence. The practice of, of sexually immoral behavior and idolatry is exile, verse 5. Paul makes it clear that there is no inheritance for those who welcome impurity. This is a huge deal to God because these things are all about self-satisfaction. But they, all, they all center in and come around self which is the exact opposite of the type of love that Jesus's people are to imitate, right? Because it becomes about about personal gain at the expense of others as opposed to, get this, so important, sacrifice for their good. People become objects for, for gratification as opposed to image bearers of God. Hey, I want to be real for a second. Okay, I I love you guys. Each of you. I I love you and I love God and I love his word. And I believe that through it, we find freedom from sin in Christ. These truths are what I just said. Enable me to say this to you. Stop. Okay, 
just stop looking to your girlfriend or your boyfriend or the other man or the other woman. Stop looking to those of your same sex or people on the other end of the screen for pleasure that is without question, Ephesians 5, totally detrimental to your soul and your future. These practices will result in a ton of collateral damage. That's why Paul warns against it so strongly here. This is what Paul encourages his readers toward so strongly here in an age of sexual freedom and liberation. Is it not most helpful to understand what it looks like to be free? John Bloom, a contributor to Desiring God, said this. Freedom is not the freedom to express our pride-fueled sexual desires. This is the distinction between Christian culture and secular culture, right? And this is not an attack on secular culture. Do not hear me saying that. In fact, what I'm going to encourage you toward is as light as Paul is going to encourage the Ephesians toward, go into into secular culture and expose sin in a way that draws to truth in Christ by the power of the Spirit, so that we all might come to experience fellowship with God and realization of greatest joy. Okay, so this is not an attack on culture. Do not hear me saying that. Freedom, Bloom writes, is the humble belief that we are not our own and therefore not enslaved to our all-consuming pride, but free to be what God created us to be. This is what it means to be free. This is the freedom that we enjoy in Christ, right? That we are free to be what God has created us to be. I heard a guy this week talking about um, his, he was talking about his own like, like, conversion, like becoming a Christian, right? And he came from like this really like wild, like background. Like some of you perhaps would, would identify with his story a bit, but he, he came from this really wild background and he, he heard the gospel. He had friends that came alongside him and they, they just shared the gospel with him. And they said, listen, man, like, like, like lean into Jesus, like look to Jesus, turn from your sin and like embrace faith, like express faith, follow him, like believe, right? And receive salvation it has nothing to do with what you do, but it has everything to do with what Christ has already done. And he said, so I did that, right? I, I, I believed on Jesus. I became a Christian. And then after that, everybody started coming around me and telling me everything I couldn't do and Anymore, and I started to go, well, this doesn't seem like such a free gift anymore, right? Like I got to throw out all my ACDC albums and start listening to Sandy Patty. That sounds awful. But then he, he, he said, as I had these, these brothers come around me and disciple me, they began to share with me more about what it looked like to walk out and live in created purpose. And I began to realize that it wasn't, a, it wasn't necessarily just a, a put these things off, but it's a pick up what you are intended to wear. Right, to adorn yourself. And the righteousness of Christ. And the practical implication for the way that we live our lives. I mean, where, where immorality and, and impurity, covetousness and gossip enslave you. Hear this. The gospel sets you free. The gospel, the gospel frees you so that 
So that sexual and and conversational purity are now both identifiable in the follower of Jesus. Know that, that you are in Christ sent as a mirror of God, imaging God, chapter 5, verse 1, into various unfruitful contexts to expose sin that would otherwise go unchecked. Sin in, in these places become more visible through the presence of God's people. Things that didn't seem so dangerous or so unhealthy are seen in the light for what they really are in your workplace at school, in your class, in the cafeteria, Z6, EC, on your baseball team, right, or basketball team. Whatever this, this looks like, no, right? And, and, and Paul's going to come around this a little bit more. We're just setting a stage for it, right? That, that you are sent as imitators of God that is light into these places, right? Adorning that which God intended, And as a result, as you live out created purpose, exposing sin, sin that didn't seem so dangerous, but we know is, in light of what Paul says here, extremely dangerous. There is no citizenship in the kingdom for those who embrace this type of existence. So what is the encouragement then? If you're a note taker, hey, take a, take a, everybody take a breath for a second. I feel like we've been just like pounding away on the stump for a while, okay? Everybody take a breath, catch your breath. Everybody okay? We're doing good. Amen. Write this down. Take notes. We're a note-taking church. We love taking notes. I heard a statistic. I think if you, uh, if you take notes, you're like 90% more likely to remember what you heard. That isn't a real statistic, but it's kind of like that, I would imagine. What do we do, right? What do we, what do, we do as we look to Christ and as we live out gospel implication for our lives and in light of what we see here in these, in these few verses? I mean, we walk in purity of heart. All right, we walk in purity of heart that is going to naturally affect the way that we, that we interact with other people. We walk in in purity of heart and we walk out purity in Christ. Enjoying God's good design for sex between a man and and a woman in covenant relationship with one another. Purity in conversation. The language of thanksgiving in seasons of hardship and joy. This is Paul's first call. Okay? This is where he begins. Followed by... Instruction to, in Christ, imitate God in love as you walk in truth. So, so the first part is like this walk in purity, and it relates to the way that, like we, uh, that like we we engage and interact with one another, like sexually, and the way that we engage and interact with one another in conversation. So, both of those things are present here. And then he transitions in verses 6 through 21 to this call to to imitate God in love as you walk in truth. Let's look at verse 6. Paul writes this. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. 
Man, here's what Paul's saying as he is so seriously in tune with this lie that followers of Jesus are cool to live in unrepentant habitual sin post-conversion. He understands that this is, this, is a, this is a theme, right? That this is an argument, that this is a presentation, confident that they will escape judgment as beneficiaries of Jesus' death on the cross. This is not a new lie, but it's one that the church is, is certainly familiar with. And so the warning here is, is, to, is to not buy into this silly, empty talk, understanding that the wrath of God is indeed set upon the sons of disobedience, right? So don't partner with. The warning is strong, right? Because, because adopting this perspective, in adopting this perspective, you are casting serious shadow on the validity of your confession in the first place. Living in unrepentant, habitual sin casts serious shadow on your confession of faith from the beginning. Because this is not the way that we are dressed any longer. This is not the dialect of the Christian. Empty words that result in in practice from a confessing Christian, often serve to expose the emptiness of one's profession of faith in the first place. So don't get swept up, Paul says. Here's his warning. Don't get swept up in any smooth talk that will only serve to cause further harm. He's talking to friends that he cares for. He's talking to friends that he cares for. He says, avoid this. Like, do not get, don't get caught up in this. Did you ever hear that? Your mom and dad ever tell you that? Like, like growing up, I think mine did, I think at some point. Like, don't get caught up in this. Don't get taken captive by this. Like, be aware that this is a thing, that it is out there. And like, just don't get, don't get caught in that trap. Don't get pulled under by this. This is what Paul's saying here. Like, don't, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by empty words, right? These things that are untrue, that, that God's wrath is like, is, is, is not reserved for you as though your profession of faith, your confession of Jesus has done anything given that there's no outward transformation. Verse 11, he continues on, walking in truth this is the encouragement. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, right? Expose them for the sham that they are. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, man, it becomes visible. This is going back to what we said earlier, right? And so, so rip off the cover, Right, rip the cover off of those frauds and see how attractive they look in the light of Christ. For anything, verse 14, that becomes visible in light, becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days, hey, they are evil. They are desperate. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk with wine for this is debauchery, but instead be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, your new heart, giving thanks always for everything 
to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And drink the Spirit of God. Drink the Spirit of, of God. Sing hymns. Sing songs from your heart to Christ. Sing praises over everything. Any excuse for a song to God the Father in the name of our Master Jesus. What does it look like to, to live as a Christian and to, and to walk in the love of God? What does it look like to, to do this? Well, well, Paul is bringing us around this, this, this beautiful picture. To live as a Christian is to, as we have seen in previous weeks, walk in unity. Right, just to walk, walk in unity, right? The people of God unified around, around the cross of Christ and the hope of his resurrection. To live as a Christian is to walk in holiness. The holiness that we adorn as we, as we die to ourselves, right? And are made alive in Christ Jesus. Dressed for the party. Wearing the garments that he has prepared that ensure our entrance. It's the picture that Jesus paints about the, about the wedding party. To live as a Christian is to, is to walk in unity, it's to walk in holiness, and as we have seen this morning, it's to walk in love as those committed to the pursuit of a, of a full and fruitful life in Christ, holding fast to truth in thanksgiving, expressed through how does, he, how does he close this thing out? Song. An act that, that engages the church corporately. Right? We, we sing together to a holy God who, who loves us. Enabling us to love him and others as our hearts are made new and alive through the death and resurrection of the son. As followers of Jesus, we walk how? We walk out and we walk in light. We walk in light, taking advantage of every opportunity to do good, verse 16. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Trusting Jesus as our mediator to the Father. The gospel totally changes the way that we understand and relate with one another in love. The way that, that, that the husband and wife relate with one another, right? The uncommon is exposed through the light of Christ, is to, be, is to be shed as we put on created purpose and order. The way that we interact with, with one another, right? Setting aside locker room talk and gossip and instead speaking the dialect of thanksgiving. There's this, this call around corporate and individual practice, which closes, interestingly enough, with a call to corporate and individual practice. Singing. Man, I love the way that this, that this closes out. It's as though Paul says, man, everything that we've been, we've been saying, everything that has been said, everything that has been celebrated ought to lead us to where at this point, we're ready to take a little bit of a break and sing together, which is exactly what we're going to do in just a moment. An expression of love as the people of God in just a moment come forward to remember this ultimate display of love, right? The, the broken bread, 
that represents Christ's broken body and, and, and the cup, right, representing his shed blood. We're, we're seeking to understand love, self-sacrificing, God-centered, gospel-focused love. And we could not come around a greater illustration. It's an ordinance that he gives to the church for this purpose. We're dying to ourselves. Maybe you're here this morning, you go, man, I need to, I need to, to reorient I need to, to orient around like created order and purpose and God's desire and his word. I mean, we are, are about to, in just a moment, get out of our seats and move forward, right? In this, in this act that Christ has given that bring us together in love around him. Do you get that? We're brought together in love around him. And then, right, we're going to go back to our seats and we're going to, we're going to sing about this together. So, so let's not lose sight of that. Let's not lose sight of, of, of the, the beautiful language employed by Paul here that God uses through his spirit to transform our affections and, and understanding of purpose and passion. But also the way in which we are about to, to close is opportunity to begin living this out. Does that make sense? What we're talking about here. It's a gr- great opportunity, man. So, so let's not forget what we've seen here, right? We, we look to Jesus who enables all of this type of transformation. Let's put on order and purpose. As we prepare to, after we sing, dismiss and go back out into the world as imitators and light. Man, what a, what a beautiful call here from Paul in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to continue to talk more about what this looks like over the next few weeks as we move into this realm of wives and husbands and children and parents and slaves and masters. What does it look like to, to walk in and out love as we cling to the gospel and the hope of Christ? We're going to talk about that over the next few weeks. Let's pray together as we prepare to come.